All right. So, like I said, tonight we're doing things just a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> how many of you guys know who Rhett and Link are? Just a few of you guys. Okay, so they have a YouTube channel. It's called uh, Good Mythical Morning, and they have another YouTube channel. They have like eight YouTube channels. But uh, they basically do this like talk show style comedy thing where they their most famous bit is like, will it something? So like, will it taco? And then they make like weird things out of tacos or make weird things into tacos and some of them are gross. Anyway, <clears throat> it's YouTube. Um, so Rhett and Link, they used to be full-time crew uh, pastors. They were full-time missionaries with Campus Crusades in California. And crew is actually how they got into making YouTube videos. With crew, they used to do um, kind of the skits for their, for their Campus Crusades club in, on the college campus. And that's really how they got started into making YouTube videos. Well, a few years ago, they kind of jumped into this modern um, trend. It's called deconstructing, deconstructionism, deconstructing your faith. And so they went on and they basically shared about how they decided to deconstruct their faith. And through deconstructing their faith, they came to terms with the fact that they didn't believe in Christianity anymore and walked away from their faith. And now deconstructing your faith isn't Rhett and Link's idea. It's kind of a modern trend of like trying to approach scripture and trying to take what you agree with and what you don't agree with and just leave what you agree with. And now in principle, I like the idea of deconstructing our faith because it kind of makes sense to take a step back from what we believe and try to separate out what is culture versus what is scripture. But the problem with deconstruction that's going on this modern movement, I know it kind of presents itself as like a, a, a modern um, reformation, but really what it is is a lot of people deciding to go in, reading scripture going, oh, I don't agree with that, so I'm just going to take that out. I don't agree with that, so I don't take that out. And you eventually get to a point where you're just worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Because basically what you're saying is, if I disagree with it, then it clearly can't be scriptural. Now, I think the concept of deconstructing your faith in a different way, where you look at it and you say, okay, I'm going to take what does Scripture say, and I'm going to ignore my, my personal predispositions. I'm going to ignore my stance on it, and I'm going to listen to what Scripture says, and I'm going to take the Scripture at 100% face value and apply it to my life that way. Now, if we were to deconstruct our faith in that vein, I think it's a very powerful tool. But the problem with the modern deconstructionism is that it leaves that aspect out. So if you do find yourself trying to deconstruct your faith, I know it's a modern trend with Christians, especially Christians your age. If you are falling into this and you are wanting to deconstruct your faith, I'm never going to tell you not to do something, but I'm going to ask you to kind of go into it with the right mindset. And so if this is you and this is something you're falling into, I want to ask you to do two things for me and for God. The first thing is to leave your bias at the door. So the things that you think you know about the world, leave those at the door when you approach Scripture. You should approach Scripture with an open mind for what the Bible has in store and what God has in store, not what society says. Because Christianity in America looks totally different than Christianity in, say, Nigeria or versus Christianity in um, Eastern Europe or Christianity in Russia. Each country puts their own culture into Christianity. And as Christians, we have to take a step back 
And we have to understand what is actually Christian versus what is our culture. The way we do church is very cultural. And honestly, it can differ even between what culture in Nebraska is versus culture in California. Church is going to feel different. Um, you can even look at uh, church is going to feel different if you go into a black community versus a white community. Church is going to feel different. So we have to leave our biases of what church should be at the door when we approach Scripture and approach God. <clears throat> and then the second thing is that I ask you to not eliminate fellowship from a body of believers because we should be, and God has made it very clear through Scripture, that we should be approaching, um, approaching our faith both privately, one-on-one -on -one with God, as well as corporately. There is an aspect of fellowship. There is an aspect of faith, mutual faith, where we agree and we come and we learn and we iron sharpens iron kind of concept where we learn from each other, we grow from each other. That is necessary in a walk with God. But there should also be a private aspect where you're taking the time and you're reading the scripture on your own and you're taking the time to learn and go through what you believe scripture is saying. And so that said, we're going to be jumping into a sermon series where we begin this process of deconstructing our faith. I think it's important and I think it's kind of awesome to take advantage of modern trends and use them for good. And I think it's beneficial for us to take a second, take a step back and ask ourselves, why do we do what we're doing? So in the American church, even just, um, I spoke on this last Sunday at the Methodist church and the way the Methodist church does worship versus the assemblies of God is two completely different uh, methods of worship. And there's nothing, you know, and, and I don't want to take a step and be like, okay, this one's right. This one's wrong. I want to look at both and go, okay, instead of which one's right, which one's wrong, what does the Bible say about worship? And then approach worship, approach the way we worship scripturally rather than culturally. And I will say, major part of worship these days is cultural. I would say 90% of American churches approach worship through a cultural lens rather than a scriptural lens. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to break it down and we're going to look at what the Bible says about worship so that we can learn from what the Bible says and then apply it to today, to our ministry, to Chi Alpha, to our meeting. And then we're going to end service in what I hope is a more biblical version of worship. So that's why we started with just one song, just to kind of for sake of tradition, because people are weird when we don't start with worship. And so um, we started with one just so that we weren't weirded out by it and we had worship, but we're going to end with the bulk of our worship tonight. And so I want to start with the definition of worship. So when we define worship, go back. When we define worship, uh, worship, modern definition is to show reverence and adoration for. And then the word praise, which scripturally worship and praise are very closely intertwined. The modern definition of praise is express warm approval or admiration of. So if we're approaching worship with a modern lens, what we would be doing is basically showing reverence and adoration for God. And if we're approaching modern praise, it would be expressing warm approval and admiration of God. And so if we take a step back and we approach worship and we think about the fact that we're singing songs in modern times, when we're singing, we should be showing reverence and adoration for God. Now, that's what we intend to do. But I found that even with myself, 
when I approach worship, more often than not, I'm looking at what it feels like for me. How is it going to benefit me rather than how am I going to be able to worship God? More often than not, if, if worship is rough or it sounds rough or the tempo is off or they didn't sing a modern song or, or if they're singing an old hymn and, and I just can't get into it, I think that there's something wrong, but in reality, if I took a step back and I remembered why I'm worshiping, it doesn't really, none of those aspects of worship should really matter. What should matter is how I approach it. Because if I'm approaching it with a biblical standpoint, then I'm approaching it, or even just a modern standpoint, then I'm approaching it with the intention of expressing approval and adoration and reverence for God. And so, does modern worship now, so we've, we've taken, we've looked at modern worship, and now we need to ask the question, does it line up with biblical worship? That's more complicated, because in modern day vernacular, we have praise and we have worship, really, two words. But when we look, even just within the Old Testament, just the Old Testament alone, the Hebrew has nine different words for worship and praise. And so tonight, for the sake of time, we're not going to dissect all nine different words. We're going to just key on the main three. The key three that happen the most, the key three that have the most to do with what we're talking about when we are talking about worship in the church. And so um, tonight, I, I'm going to say, go ahead and get in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 16. That's where the bulk of our information scripturally is going to come from. But I do also want to say in your own private time and you're reading scripture, go back and read 1 Chronicles 15, 16, and 17 because it'll give you a better viewpoint of what's going on and it'll help you to understand this a little bit better. But for the sake of time, because you guys will stop listening to me if I take longer than half an hour, we're not going to go through all of that. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a background just to kind of shore up the fact that I'm not going to read all of this. So basically what's going on in 1 Chronicles 15 through 17 is we have the story of the Ark of the Covenant, which the Ark of the Covenant, if you're not familiar, it had um, the, the stones that the Ten Commandments were inscribed on inside of it. And to the uh, Israelites, it represented the presence of God. And they believed, and it scripturally says that the presence of God was within this. And so the Ark of the Covenant has just entered the city of David, okay? And so um, David is basically showing his thanks to God that it made it there safely, that it came, that God's presence is in the city of David. And so he really believed, and it, he truly did look at the Ark of the Covenant as God's presence. And so could you imagine believing that God's presence was within this box, within this little box you really believe God's presence is in it and it's here in this room and there's one of them in the world. And so how much differently would you approach worship if you believed God was present? And so basically that's what's going on in this. And so David is writing a psalm basically to thank God for his presence coming into the city. And so to start off tonight, and we're going to go kind of quickly, but I really do want to take a second to just kind of digest these words. And so even though I'm going to be going through them quickly, I want you to, when I read the definition of the word, take a second and digest it. Take a second and actually try to hear what it's saying, hear what it means, hear what it's defined as. And take it and 
internalize it and ask yourself, am I worshiping this way? Am I praising God this way? And so the first word we have right here is sakah. Sakah basically means to depress, to bow down, or to fall down flat. This is the most common word for worship within the Old Testament. So this basically, through that definition, so depress, bow down, fall down flat. That's basically what it means. So when to worship God, could you imagine, so you're entering worship and you're depressing, you're bowing down. So what does that give you images of? For me, when I imagine someone bowing down, I think of somebody bowing to a king, uh, somebody bowing to as a servant to their master. I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were forced to bow down and they said they would not bow down to anybody other than God. That's exactly what this is. It is in an act of humility, bowing down. So you are humbling yourself and basically admitting and showing through your actions, through your, your display of your body position, that you are less than and you're basically humbling yourself. So to worship God through Shekhar is to humble yourself before God. Now, how does this apply to modern times? Bowing to somebody doesn't have the same implications today as it did during the Old Testament. And so how do we approach worship in a way where we bow down, where we approach it in an act of humility before God? The, the example of this is in 1 Chronicles 16, uh, verse 29. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And that word there, worship, so it says, Shekah, the Lord, in the splendor of His holiness. So it's saying, humble yourself before the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. So is modern worship an act of humility before the Lord? The next word we have is halal. Halal, in modern times, if you hear the word halal, typically it's indicating a type of food that Muslims eat um, that is specifically prepared in a way that is safe for them to, prepare, or safe for them to eat. However, within um, Scripture and within the Old Testament, uh, and Hebrew language, halal is the, defined as to shine, boast, to praise, to act like a fool or a madman. Halal is used over 165 within the Old Testament in order to describe praising God. Halal, if you were to add it to another part of the word, which was uh, the word for God, you get the modern term hallelujah. Hallelujah is literally praising Yahweh, praising God. So, halal, Yah, word for God, halal, hallelujah. You gotta understand where the modern term for hallelujah comes. But in the Old Testament, halal wasn't just simply praising somebody. It wasn't singing loudly. It wasn't, it was to basically disregard the way you appeared to anybody else in order to show your full affection for, your full respect for. It was to basically disregard your emotions, disregard your feelings, and make sure that you would go above and beyond to show your, your respect and your, um, 
praise for whatever you are halal praising. And so for the Old Testament, oftentimes that meant that they were running around screaming, literally praising the Lord. It's an over-the-top exuberant form of praise. It's not standing prostrate. That's not the right word. (laughs) Prostrate. And, uh, and worshiping. It's, it's an act. It's, it's over the top. It's, it's excited. It's a lot more loud, vocal. It's almost, it's almost more of a show, but it's not intended to be a show. If you're doing it on purpose to have people look at you, that's not halal. The idea is you're disregarding the way that people are looking at you to show your full praise. And so, Within Scripture, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 4, we have the word halal. And it says, He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to extol, thank, and praise the Lord of God of Israel. And so, the word there for praise was halal. So He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to extol, thank, and to... Praise, boast, act like a fool or a madman for the Lord, the God of Israel. So that is the word halal. And the last word that we're going to focus on tonight is my favorite, because halal is weird, but it's important. My favorite word is yada. The Hebrew word for praise, yada, is defined as to throw, to extend your hands, to throw out the hands, or to worship with extended hands. So when people raise their hands in worship, that is yada. When people are raising their hands, um, raise your hands, extend your hands, put your hands out, basically showing your, uh, showing your praise through throwing of your hands, extending your hands. The way this one, um, the, the examples of this one, you know, really, I kind of think of when you're watching a football game or a sporting event. How many of you guys are sports fans in here? Like four of you. So when you're watching a sporting event and it's coming down to the wire and the scores are tied and let's say hockey and the score is four to four and there's two seconds left. And then your guy comes in and scores literally right at the last second. You can immediately see the entire crowd, the home crowd, jump up, throw their hands up, start screaming in excitement. That's how I picture Yada. And we do it naturally because it's not, nobody goes, okay, here's how you root for your home sports team. So if they score a goal, you got to stand up, raise your hands up, and then shout praises to the team. No, we've just through conditioning, through, through our experiences, through our excitement, we do those things naturally. And so Yada is almost just an expression of how we praise and get excited for things naturally. And so that is the Hebrew word Yada. An example within 1 Corinthians 16 is give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. So David is saying to give thanks with extended hands to the Lord, proclaiming His name, make known among the nations what He has done.
How many of you guys have been to like a huge, like secular concert, like a non-Christian band, just like ACDC or like Metallica or I don't even know. What's a modern popular band? And none of you guys have been to like a big concert like that? Man, you guys are missing out. It's exciting. I've been to quite a few, most of them before I was a Christian, but I've been to quite a few. So there was a few years back, one of my mentors, he was deciding whether or not he wanted to go to an ACDC concert. This concert was in Denver, and uh, he was pretty excited about it, but at the same time, he was kind of struggling in his faith in a couple ways, and so he was kind of nervous about the, the experience. He was just nervous about the scene that was going to be there. And so I was talking to him a little bit about it, and he decided ultimately that he was going to go. And so he goes to the concert, and he gets back, and I asked him how it went. And he looked at me and with dead serious eyes. He said that it was, and I quote, easily the most energetic worship I've ever been to. And I was obviously concerned, or not concerned, but confused, because ACDC is not a Christian band. And so he's like, no, 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 hear me out. So worship is worship. Whether we're worshiping God or we're worshiping a band, we're, we're worshiping. We can worship a football team. We can worship anything. We can worship anything on this earth. We can worship our, our spouses. Worship is worship. And so ACDC was playing, and this crowd was worshiping ACDC phenomenally. This crowd was going wild. They knew every word to every song. Their hands were raised almost the entire time. They were over the top excited. And when their favorite songs came on, they just went wild. If that's not worship, then I don't know what worship is. And then he said, I just wish that in the church, we could even get half as excited as people get to worship ACDC, as we get to worship God, as we get to worship Jesus. We really are trying to say that we believe that Jesus died for our sins. We're trying to say that we really believe that He made sure that we get into heaven. We really believe that God of the universe can come down, talk to us, and that we can worship Him in His presence. And it doesn't even come close to the way that these guys are worshiping ACDC. Just regular old dudes who can play guitar really cool and sing really crappily on tune. But yeah, we go crazy for it. I mean, look at the way when we go to even just Christian concerts. The way we worship the Christian bands. We don't do that when we worship God one-on-one. -on -one. Why? Because we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping the band in that moment. Another way that I've heard Yadah explained is when you have a kid who hasn't seen his mom or dad, say his dad's been over fighting in Iraq or something like that, and he hasn't seen his dad in a couple years, and they surprise him at school or whatever. You've seen these videos. They go viral every time. And the kid just runs screaming to their parent with their arms raised up, just ready to embrace their dad. That's another way that you would explain the word Yadah. It's just giving yourself fully over to God. You're just, you're ready to embrace Him. It's an act of surrendering ourselves to Christ. Taking a second, removing ourselves from where we are, 
and focusing fully on God and fully surrendering ourselves to Him. And so I've asked the worship team, like I said, to close out today's service. And so I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and come up and start getting ready. And so while they get ready, I'm going to finish out this sermon. And I want you to take a second and really internalize the definitions that I've, I've said. I'll give you this in a minute. The definitions of worship that I've given to you guys. And like I said, worship is so important that even just in the, New, or the Old Testament, there was nine different words for worship and praise. Over nine. I think there's 10 or 11. There's over nine different words. I've studied nine of them. They have multiple words. That's how important worship and praise is. And so I've taken the, the three most common words for worship and praise, define them for you, and I want you to take a second. I want you to ask yourself, when you came in here this morning or this evening and you sang that first worship song, be honest with yourself. Were you actually worshiping God? Or were you just singing a song? Were you actually taking a second and stepping back and through... Shaka worship, were you humbling yourself? Did you humble yourself before you approach worship this evening? When you approach worship this evening, were you shining, boasting, praising, ignoring those around you and just being in the presence of God, being willing to look like a fool or a madman? Were you extending your arms and your hands in thanks? Were you so excited you couldn't help but put up an arm? Or did you approach it in humility and put up an arm in an act of humility? And so we're going to take a second. I want to ask you that while I read through this last piece of Scripture, I want you to take a second and get yourself focused and focused on God and what He's doing. And I want to read to you 1 Chronicles 16, 7 through 12. But I want to read it as though it is written for us here in Chi Alpha today. Okay? So I want you to take a second and I'm going to replace a couple of words. Now, I'm not saying that this is more important than Scripture. Scripture is Scripture. We need to read Scripture in its context. But with 1 Chronicles 16, we can apply it to our situation today. And so I'm going to read it as that. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to, to just receive this scripture. Starting in verse 7. This day, Pastor Tanner appointed Chi Alpha to give praise to the Lord in this manner. To give Yada to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among Shadron what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell the entire college of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord in Shadron rejoice. Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgment He pronounced. And so for tonight, I want to ask you to deconstruct the way that you approach worship Take culture out of the equation. We're not approaching this with the American culture. 
We're not approaching this with a Nebraska culture. We're not approaching this with a method, Methodist, Lutheran, Assemblies of God, Catholic. We're not approaching it with a denominational culture. We're going to approach tonight's worship with a biblical culture. And so I want you to ask yourself, what is it going to look like for you to approach God in humility in a biblical way? What is it going to take for you to praise God as if there's no later? What's it going to take for you to praise God as if there's no tomorrow? That perhaps tonight, this is the last time that you might ever get to praise God. This is the last time here at Shattern State, this is the last time that Shattern State College could ever hear you praise God. That this could be the last time that Shattern State College could ever hear us praising and thanking and worshiping our God. What does that look like for you? And tonight, if, if you feel comfortable to do so, I ask that you would raise your hands in prayer. Lord, we give ourselves over to You. We praise You. With outstretched arms, Lord, we just ask You to hear our prayers. We love You. And we praise You for the glory of who You are and what You've done both on the cross and in each and every one of our individual lives. What You've done in our city, what You've done in Chi Alpha, what You've done on this campus. Lord, I pray that You would help us to not lose sight, even for just a moment, of all of the things that You've done, all of the things that You've done for us, all of that You've done for mankind. Lord, help us to not lose sight of, of who You are. that even beyond what it means to us, who you are, the God of the universe, you created us, you wove us, you designed us, you died on the cross for us. God, help us to remember how good you are. And in those moments of desperation when Life seems so unfair when things are hard, when difficulties arise. Help us to embrace You and praise You for how good You are. Help us to not lose sight of that. And so this week, Lord, as we leave here and we go about our, our lives and we go to small group and we interact with each other on campus. Lord, I pray that You would continue to bring to our minds what biblical worship looks like. That we can worship You even without having a worship team standing here in front of us. We can worship You without music, Lord. We can worship You with our, our words. We can worship You with our stature. We can worship You with even just our body, Lord. Help us to worship You better this week. So Holy Spirit, I pray that You would be with us, that You would be with these students, that You would give them abundant time to do their schoolwork, that You would encourage them throughout their week, help them to get closer to You, 
And Lord, I pray that you would show them that you are real and that your presence is with them. I pray that every single student this week would have a moment where they could stop and go, yep, that was God. I pray that every student here could feel your presence throughout their week. Lord, as we come back next week and we look at another aspect of of Scripture and we look at another way to approach our walks with you in modern day, I pray that you would continue to be with us and help us and guide us to be ready to receive that word. Lord, it is in your name that we pray.